Hello, this is the Fight Back Podcast, hosted by exercise scientist Georgia Berry. Here, you'll find a series of honest conversations about martial arts and mental health. My guests and I explore the statement that every martial artist has heard, martial arts saved me. How and why do combat sports save people? Listen to find out. All right, Christy, welcome to the Fightback Project or the Fightback Podcast. Actually, we're on today. Um, so, everybody who's listening in, Christy Hitchens is the founder of the Pink Belt Project, uh, which obviously I love the name. I think she's onto the right kind of theme, uh, and a Taekwondo black belt. Uh, Christy, can you introduce yourself to everyone? Hey, Georgia. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, yes. Yeah, I think this is going to be awesome. I'm so glad that we found each other. So um, uh, how to introduce myself. I am, uh, I work in local government communications by day, um, uh, marketing, that sort of stuff. Um, but I uh, took up martial arts age 40 um, after watching my son train for about five years Um underwent a process of, of um, internal change, I guess, um, and self-awareness. Uh, and out of that process developed um, this idea for Pink Belt Project, which uh, aims to provide women who have been affected by domestic abuse or sexual assault with a year of free martial arts training in their local community. Which is just like the best idea ever. Um, I love it so much. But first things first, I want to ask you, why do you think from that and your personal experience, people often say martial arts saved me? That's such a good question (laughs) and has so many parts to it. But Mm -hmm. um, I guess I would say that what I discovered from my own experience and then when I followed that up with some research and now that I've seen Um, some women come out the other side of my pink belt scholarships. The answer to that question would be this phenomenon called the martial arts effect, Mm -hmm. particularly for women. Uh, So what I have found is that through the process of learning to defend themselves, this kind of internal shift occurs in a woman. Uh, It results in empowerment, increased confidence and self-esteem, Um, a much greater ability to set boundaries Um, and all of these aspects um, work like this beautiful ripple effect into relationships work you know every aspect of their life so they start to see benefits not just from health and fitness point of view but in all aspects so I think that covers that question (laughs) yeah that was a very very eloquent answer so the Pink Belt Project, what exactly is it? So people apply or they're referred. How does it work? Um, so scholarships are offered in two ways. I do some fundraising. Mm-hmm. I estimate that a year of martial arts costs around $2,000 for yep. all your equipment, a couple of classes a week and that sort of stuff. Um, so I fundraise to provide some cash scholarships, mm-hmm. which can be used at any martial arts club in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um But the way that the project has really grown exponentially is um, with owners of martial arts clubs coming on board and offering to provide a scholarship at their club. Mm -hmm. So they offer to cover the expenses for someone for a year. 
Um, so this year um, I've had about 34 um, clubs around Australia come on mm -hmm. board, which has been, given the current climate, absolutely amazing. So and the, then the way that we find women is really I just sort of arm all the instructors with a heap of marketing and publicity materials that they can use in their own local communities to promote the opportunity that they've got available. Uh, often it's done on social media, but I've had massive media interest this year. We've had, um, you know, radio interviews, website stories, you know, which is so fantastic for all the instructors because they're being seen in their local communities as leaders and really um, doing something worthwhile. So um, it's kind of a win-win, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And what are some of the stories that have come out of it? How long have you been running the program for now? Uh, so I started fundraising in 2018, mm -hmm. so mid-2018, and then the first intake of scholarship recipients was January 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had... Um, about five women complete a year in 2019. Mm -hmm. Then we went into 2020 and we had 20 women start, but with all the COVID interruptions to classes and stuff, we've had a bit of a drop-off, but we've mm -hmm. had about 12 or so come to the end, um, but they're going to have their scholarships extended into next year to cover that period that they couldn't train. Um, and we're, I've just this week closed applications and, and settled everything again for 2021 and looking like about 30 scholarships um, or women um, that are going to benefit um, with a year of martial arts this year. So, yeah. That's so good. And what have been some of the outcomes? Sorry, the outcomes, yeah, amazing, amazing stories um, coming out of it. And I guess this is something that will grow as the project, you know, grows as well and, and manage to help more women. But um, some of the women um, that have been involved so far they've made comments like um, I started and I had depression and and after I finished that just was no longer a factor for me. Um, another woman spoke about how um, dealing with domestic abuse and coming out the other side of that was a very isolating experience. She felt like she didn't have a network. Um, you know, it was difficult sort of a thing to talk about to other people. So, you know, that amazing community that she found at her martial arts club um, was something that she really treasured and, and really made a huge difference for her. Uh, another woman um, actually undertook martial arts earlier in her life um, and the Pink Belt Scholarship enabled her to return to that. So under her scholarship, she reached Black Belt. So um, that was a really cool outcome as well. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. What about the other side of the table with the instructors? How do they go about, like, because they know that somebody's coming from having experienced domestic violence, what are the kind of guidelines that they're following to make their, their teaching a little bit more trauma sensitive or are they just going about it as per usual? What's the process there? That's definitely uh, um, an area where I'm hoping by tapping into experts such as yourself, that I can really uh, develop and support the instructors better to um, be operating more effectively in that space. I think, you know, one of the reasons that the project has grown and, and become so successful is because generally there's a lot of good people doing martial arts and martial arts instructors tend to be great people who understand 
um, or want to serve their community and, and, and sort of feel that they have a higher purpose, I guess, in, in helping people in their community. So some instructors are females and, and um, are probably uh, more aware of, of how to operate in this space. I also have a lot of male instructors um, who probably feel like they want to be more knowledgeable um, in this area as well. So um, definitely it's something I'm hoping to be able to provide them with more resources. Um, I think they're all, you know, on the whole, I think they're doing a great job. Um, but you don't know what you don't know. And I guess it's just um, being able to improve um, the outcome for the scholarship recipients and also from what I've seen to kind of um, we do get that little bit of a drop-off, like we'll give out a heap of scholarships at the start of the year and then we do get a little bit of a drop-off as women sort of find it too much or, or, or just can't bring themselves to continue with the process. So um, gearing everyone up to provide that amazing support in the beginning um, hopefully will prevent that drop-off that we're getting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's like it's difficult sometimes with something that it's like a scholarship so you're not paying money for it can definitely be a factor I mean just like in things that I've seen through however many years of training you know life gets in the way and then if there's you know there's not a financial commitment then sometimes like things can all become a little bit too hard but I am I am just so excited to see how this space is progressing and how it's going to keep progressing in the next, you know, two, five years where we will actually have a bit of a framework for how to be a more trauma-sensitive martial arts instructor. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think, you know, um, parallel with that is this growing awareness about the role that martial arts can play Mm -hmm. as a therapeutic tool and in this space because, uh, there's still, as I've discovered, a whole lot of work to do around um, awareness raising about you know, what the potential is for it as a tool. So, um, yeah, those two things should run parallel and we'll see a lot of growth, I think. What have you seen? So you're uh, advertising in communities and, and so on, saying, like, you know, if there is anyone who has suffered domestic violence, they can do the, the Pink Belt Project. Have you got much pushback with people saying, why would you get them to get kicked if they've, you know, they've been a victim of abuse and assault. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, well, so attracting scholarship recipients is difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is is that awareness around how martial arts can help mm-hmm. um, and the lack of understanding around that. Mm-hmm. And certainly I've encountered from um, co- different community groups or different sectors um, lots of those misconceptions that still exist around martial arts Um, and it's been quite a perplexing and eye-opening experience but it just makes me realise that's why um, this hasn't happened yet (laughs) Uh, because to me and to you the benefits are obvious um, but there is still um, this level of um, misinformation and stereotypes and things out there um, that we need to be able to overcome um, to really um, get some wins in this space. But uh, one of the most common things that I hear from people is um, why isn't putting a, a woman who's dealing with domestic violence um, 
into training in martial arts, surely that's just meeting violence with violence and that surely can't be the answer um, to this situation. Um, so, <laughs> excuse me, that one to me just really goes to the heart of it. Um, and I, I often say to people that, um, you know, the fact that these women will end up with some self-defence skills is about this much in terms of the benefits that they will get from this project. Yes, they will learn to defend themselves, but um, what's most important is those kind of um, things around empowerment and confidence building, self-esteem, um, camaraderie, friendships that they develop at the club, um, the sense of achievement, um, working through the, the belt ranks, um, that sense of uh, pride that they get when they achieve something. So all of that is what translates into a successful outcome, not that they have learned to defend themselves. And the other side of that is that as martial artists, we know that martial arts is really the opposite of violence. Uh, you know, we're taught about de-escalation uh, and all of those techniques. And, and the first line of self-defence that we learn is all about uh, not putting yourself in those risky situations um, as well. All, the, all that comes with that confidence building and self-esteem is, is this increased ability for women to um, be more effective in the boundaries they set, especially in their personal relationships, and to voice those boundaries. Um, and, and that's where it really becomes a tool for violence prevention and not just recovery from violence. Yeah, I love that you said violence prevention because I think that that really is the phrase that we need to be using in this space is that they are all violence prevention programs. They're not self-defence programs because the issue was never that a woman didn't know how to defend herself and that was the reason she was put in this situation. You know, there, there are just so many external factors, financial pressures, relationship pressures, emotional constraints, you know, childhood traumas. There are so many reasons why someone would be stuck literally mm. stuck in a in a domestic violence situation and the fact that they couldn't you know they didn't have the technical skills to fight the person off i think is the last of the reasons why you know that there would be an issue and mm. to speak to your first point about you know that self defense is sort of the the last little bit i think We've spoken about this on here before, but it's really, it's society that wants to hear that women are doing martial arts in order to defend themselves because, you know, they're, they're Bambies, they need to be saved, but, you know, like it's really good that they're looking after themselves so they can be safe to walk at night and that makes us feel okay. But when we think about violence being done to women or women being involved in anything that's violent, it kind of translates to women are being involved in masculine things and that's not their place. They don't belong there. It makes me feel uncomfortable to see a woman being hit or, you know, on in a fight, in a sanctioned fight where they're, they're agreeing to be there and we're so uncomfortable with that idea. And mm -hmm. I think that is what we are projecting mm -hmm. onto the women who say, yeah, I want to go and, and learn a martial art is like, oh, but your face, oh, but isn't that violent? Oh, but isn't that going to be bad for you to, to bring up all these things? When I think the real problem is, is that we see women 
still as a society as a weak, the weaker sex. Mm-hmm. And because of that, there's this perception that men are stronger, men have more power. And that is a lot of the reason why a lot of domestic violence happens is because mm-hmm. men perceive that there's they're absolutely 100% going to win in the fight. You know, mm-hmm. there's some research showing that rats, for example, will not attack another rat if they think that there's a chance that they're going to lose, only if they know they're going to absolutely win. So, yeah, when we keep saying that, you know, women shouldn't engage in in violent things, we're really just perpetuating this gap between what men can do and what women can do. And I think that that's a really big contributor to mm. to domestic violence as it stands at the moment as a huge huge problem here in Australia and around the world. And I think um, not only uh, do men um, have those misconceptions about women, women have those misconceptions about women because we are so conditioned to how women should behave. And and one of the really cool things that I see happen when a woman starts martial arts training is at first it, it wasn't an issue for me. I had no problem hitting and kicking stuff. Um, but a lot of women, when they first attempt training, um, th- that idea of tapping into that aggressive side of themselves, striking a target, kicking someone, um, is something that they really struggle. And it's and it's and it's a it's that martial arts effect is that shift that has to occur. But I've seen it happen once they kind of get past. You know, if they're punching something, these little dog paddle punches. Once they actually properly hit something, and you get that beautiful thwack off the target mm. you realize how brilliant that feels and how empowering and what an addictive feeling it is and, and you just want more of it yes yes absolutely mm. and it's a trauma release in of itself yes. it's a somatic release it is engaging all of the muscles which are you know upper body which want to engage in the fight response um there's so many therapeutic elements, I think, to physically hitting things. So yeah. good. Oh, <laughs> it's definitely something that we've been missing in Melbourne during the lockdown, not being able to physically hit things. Although I, I do think, and I mean, my program is online, there's so much that even just comes from taking those actions, physically hitting the air, you know, putting your body into those movements, Mm. knowing that your body is capable of making those movements. Um, the loud key up sounds, you know, expressing it vocally, all yes. that stuff. Um, yeah. Definitely. Powerful. Absolutely. Mm. And I think, you know, you can't not take up space when you're going to key eye. Like if, you, if you're yelling, you're, you're claiming the space that you're in and learning yes. how to key eye really loudly is something that, yeah, I saw throughout all of my time training in karate that, was always harder for women. Everyone who comes is a little bit shy to Kiai because it just kind of goes against social norms. Yeah. <laughs> but women definitely are always just like a little bit shy. Not me. I was always like, how can I be more the centre of attention, please? <laughs> but um, I learned humility, so that was really good. <laughs> and how's your training going now? Are you still practising Taekwondo? What are you doing? Uh, so I've made the jump uh, after I um, achieved my black belt in Taekwondo, um, moved over to um, Goju-Ru Karate. So I just oh. received my first uh, grading and yellow belt mm-hmm. in Karate. So um, I'm doing that with my son. Um, 
So we train together in Taekwondo and now we're doing karate and oh, it is just so brilliant, but so hard on the brain. Like it's just, <laughs> it's, um, it's undoing all that muscle memory and uh, retraining it uh, in the different techniques and yeah, really loving it, but a challenge for sure. What do you find is the main difference between Taekwondo and karate? I think, um, well, the very first thing I encountered is, um, is, is karate seems to be more of a, a close-in combat, mm-hmm. um, whereas Taekwondo further apart, I think. And because in Taekwondo, because you are further apart, it's sort of light on your feet and, and bouncing around and, and to strike your opponent, you need to cover that space. So you get a lot of those aerial kicks. So you get the spinning hook kicks and the tornado kicks and that sort of stuff whereas karate seems to be more close in combat, uh, so a lot of uh, shin kicks power. Um, karate seems a lot more hand um, involvement, whereas taekwondo is mainly foot-focused. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, those those aspects are definitely uh, different. Karate is more grounded, I'm finding, so that's something I'm having to work on is um, my stances to be more lower and grounded, whereas my son and I get pipped all the time because we're sort of bouncing around on our toes and we fight kind of side on mm-hmm. um, for the kicks, whereas karate, I'm trying to train myself, you've got to be more front on with your combat style. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's good for my old brain. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's interesting to try and, like, apply that blueprint to a new blueprint because there'll be some cool skills that you'll have from taekwondo that the people that you, if you compete, that you'd be competing against in karate just won't have or will do differently mm-hmm. or it'll look so weird to them they'll kind of be thrown off. I think coming from another style is always really fun. Or at least that's what I found going from Kyokushin karate to, to Muay Thai was that yeah, like, right. people were like, what are those kicks? <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> They're just another thing. Yeah. Um, if women, so a lot of women listening to this podcast are like thinking about getting into martial arts and like they might not be receiving a pink belt scholarship, but what's some of the advice that you give to women once they've got the scholarship and they're going into the program? Once they've got the scholarship, um, oh, a range of things, I think. Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest things to learn when you first start something like this, especially as an adult, is to um come to realize the beauty of living outside the comfort zone mm-hmm. and that's definitely something that I learned from my journey I feel like once you become an adult and and a parent and and all of those things later in life you don't have the opportunities anymore to be a beginner you don't take those opportunities to be a beginner at something when you're a child or at school you're always starting something new trying something new um and we don't do that much as adults. Uh, and I think we probably forget uh, how good it can be and how much it can add to your life to be a beginner again and to feel that uh, discomfort. Uh, and and I think there's definitely, and I, I suspect there's some research and stuff around about this, but I think often as adults we we start to feel that level of discomfort and instead of going toward it, we go the opposite way and, mm-hmm. and scuttle back to, to our comfort zone again because, you know, it's comfortable there. But what we don't realise is that if you sit with that discomfort, move f- through it, 
there's absolutely magic to be had on the other side. Um, so that is something that I have really uh, learned and, and something that I'm hoping to support scholarship recipients through is embracing that discomfort. Um, it is uncomfortable learning something new, not just physically. I mean, you know, trying to get your leg to lift up and kick a target, you know, is, is probably not something you've asked of your body for a really long time. Um, but also sometimes you feel silly, um, you know, the loud key outside we were talking about. Um, it's such a different environment, um, but um, learning to embrace that um, discomfort is, is a big part of it, I think, and, and helping you through that. And then once you've been through that process, you realise uh, what a sense of achievement there is on the other side and, and that definitely becomes part of the addictive nature of it. Do you use any tools to help people specifically? I mean, I'm not sure how hands-on I suppose you get to be with the recipients, but from like a somatic point of view, when you're feeling that discomfort, do you recommend that I suppose they look in their body to notice where their body is feeling the discomfort rather than their brain, which is probably thinking judgment, either judging themselves directly or wondering who else in the class is judging them or thinking back to a time in the past where they couldn't do something or thinking mm. forward to the next hour of class and wondering how they're going to finish and, you know, if they're going to look stupid for gassing in cardio or, you know, just anything that their brain starts to get fixated on then in that that self-doubt, that discomfort being discomfort with being uncomfortable where it would be not present so where we're leaving the present moment do you give them strategies to say like can you notice where the discomfort is in your body or have you had any success with like just feel the floor like any of those physical kind of anchors to the here and now um definitely something I'm hoping to move into that more scientific side of it mm -hmm. um and something I haven't felt um, necessarily equipped to be able to provide them with myself so hence why I've been really trying to reach out to mm -hmm. other experts so I can pull everyone in and and create this really great network for scholarship recipients of information that they can tap into but one of the main tools that I use possibly because um, my background is in journalism is I use storytelling um, mm -hmm. as a tool to support the scholarship recipients so um I've blogged about my own experience, but I've also made a point of um, scholarship recipients that we've had through. I capture their stories, um, publish them to the website and use them as an example for others to help inspire them and motivate them and, and see what's possible. Um, so the storytelling side of it, powerful tool and something I use a lot. Um, on top of that, um, the network. So um, both within the clubs, so I've been um, working with instructors to ensure that they uh, team up their scholarship recipient with uh, like a mentor or a training buddy inside the club. Mm -hmm. um, very often in martial arts, uh, you know, black belts train with other black belts. They don't train with a white belt. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm trying to mix that up a little bit and really encourage instructors to assign a training buddy of a higher rank to this new white belt to help them through that. Um, initial stage in that process um, but also I've got a closed Facebook group for um, scholarship recipients so that they can connect and, and bounce off each other um, and the start of last year when they all um, came together and started their training that was a really beautiful thing to watch because you know some were too scared to go to their first class 
Others went to their first class and felt totally silly and didn't want to go again. But there was all these amazing conversations happening in that group, um, connecting and sharing their experiences. And, um, yeah, that was a really powerful tool as well. So if we try and extrapolate from that, somebody who might be listening and thinking, okay, the applications are closed, I haven't got a scholarship, but like I'm I'm just about to start a martial art, lockdowns are easing, whatever it might be, I'm going to make the plunge. And if they've listened to this podcast, they've probably got some decent tools for like how to pick a club, you know, how to go and see how the instructors interact with the students, how the students interact with each other, how women are treated at the club, you know, talking to a couple of the people who are there, sitting and watching a class. But then from you, we've also taken to embrace being uncomfortable, that it's okay to have a beginner's mindset, it's okay to suck mm. in the beginning as well too, um, if they can get a buddy of some sort. So if you're brave enough to speak to the instructor and say, you know, I am really nervous about this because I have a history. You don't even, you do not have to elaborate any more than that, but you can just say I have a history or you can just say, look, I feel really physically uncomfortable with being touched by another person. Even mm-hmm. just that, if you're at a good club, they'll just be like, okay. If yeah. they're like, what? You leave that club, right? Yes, 100%. <laughs> and, and can, you know, is there a, a female high rank or, you know, is there an experienced female here that I can partner with or is there someone who, you know, a couple of women that that I can have as training partners that, that you can point me towards, which would be similar mm-hmm. to the buddy thing. And then in terms of having a community of other people who are kind of going through similar things, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot on on the podcast or anything, but I, I wonder if like that community sounds so great for people who aren't just um, like scholarship recipients to be a part of. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if there's some kind of a vetting process because I know from running Facebook groups that you can, you know, if you just let anyone join them, then they start to become diluted and mm. and odd and and something like that. But I just I don't know if there's any other group, a community that you know people can be a part of. And I know that some people feel really uncomfortable with Facebook because then you're saying your name and you know that mm. that linked with that is saying you know, I have experienced trauma and there's lots of shame and things like that attached to it. But mm-hmm. I I just wonder if something like that, maybe there's like a, you know, you can just say in the application process, I'm starting at this club, I'm a woman and or I identify as female and I um, have experienced trauma or I'm, I feel really uncomfortable with touching. I would just love the support of this group or, I'm not exactly sure what mm. the process there would be. And maybe we can talk about this more yeah, like out, out of the interview. Sure. But yeah. I love that idea of having a support network to come back to because it does take a little while before the gym becomes like your family and they definitely do. Yeah. There's a special bond that you have where you trust people to spar with them, you trust people to train with them, <laughs> you know, you're really in the trenches together, but that does take time. So it would be so nice if we could have access to that from just day one, no matter what gym you are at in Australia mm. or the world. Mm. Yeah. There's, yep, let's talk about that some more. There's definitely some potential there, I think. Absolutely. And, I I mean, yeah, maybe Reddit's a place for that kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, 
And so we've got, we're talking about how to pick a gym. We've spoken about um, what kind of internal dialogue to have. On the storytelling, if someone's thinking, okay, I want to use storytelling to help me, I'm really, really nervous, how do they go about doing that? Um, so, well, for the scholarship recipients, I've now created a like a handbook that they get access to, which has got recommended reading in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that um, points them in the direction of uh, a heap of uh, amazing women um, sharing stories about the power of martial arts and, and how it can help them. Mm-hmm. Uh, included is your podcast. <laughs> um, so that taps them straight into it. Um, I have my own Facebook page, the Pink Belt Project Facebook page and the website contains stories of previous scholarship recipients uh, so they can definitely have a look at that. Um, And, yeah, there's more resources on the page as well in terms of books and things. Um, There's some amazing books out there about that women have written about their journeys in martial arts, great podcasts, um, and all of them have this similar theme that you talk about with you know, martial arts having saved me um, or or that theme around some kind of uh, personal transformation that has occurred as a result of their training. So um, heaps of inspiration out there, um, not always easy to find it. So, um, yeah, between your pages and my pages, I think people should be able to head in the right direction. Perfect. I love it. Um, I think it's so useful to have a model to say that, like, I'm, it might feel like I'm the first one who's ever experienced something like this. And this, these are the things that I like to say, like dissociating is so common. Not being in your body the whole of your first class, so common. Not feeling anything when you hit the bag, so common. Like freaking out and not going to the first class, so common. Mm. Like that's the other thing too. I don't know how much like stories tell of people. And I think like, yeah, the more stories you can read about how other people experience similar things, the more you don't feel like there's something wrong with you because Mm -hmm. there is nothing wrong with you. And like, Mm -hmm. thank, like, thank God that your body has these amazing survival adaptations and that it was able to employ them for you to help you mentally survive at the time. And those are great acute responses. They're super normal acute responses too. Um, and now now just the fact that you're like interested in trying a martial art, you're, you're thinking about it, just really shows that now you're saying, you know, to your body, it's okay and we're going to start living in the present mm-hmm. and experiencing mm-hmm. all the great things that come from being uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. What advice would you give or any further advice that you would give to women who are interested in starting martial arts? I don't know if I have anything else on top of what we've already discovered. We've said I, a lot. <laughs> yeah, I really, like I always talk to people about checking out the club. Yeah. Um, and even if you feel unsure about um, going to the club, um, you know, Facebook is a marvellous thing at the moment and you so many clubs have very active Facebook pages so you can straight away jump on and check out a club and I do this all the time when I have clubs um, come forward offering scholarships I stalk them out I want to see what they're about and what their Mm. culture is like and I you can tell a lot from their Facebook page you know you can see the photos of training are there other women there what ages are they are they children and adults training together um 
you know, who are the instructors? What do the instructors look like? Do they get involved in um, community projects outside the, the dojo? Um, yeah, you can. So, so even if you feel a little hesitant about even just going into the club and, and watching a class um, for a start, just sit back and watch the Facebook page for a while and see what you can find out. Yeah, that's great advice. Is, before I forget to ask this too, is the Pink Belt Project only for Taekwondo? Uh, no, it started with Taekwondo because at the time that's what I was doing and I, mm-hmm. it started very small. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it was something that just started with Taekwondo. And and this year, especially with my switch to karate, um, now expanded to all traditional martial arts Um I, I always thought from the beginning I wanted to do that because I thought, you know, especially for a woman in a small town, they might not have a Taekwondo club. She might only have a karate club that she's got access to mm. uh, and those empowering benefits are the same regardless of the differences between the styles. Um, so I always wanted to, you know, expand the access to it like that. For me, the most important part in terms of um, which martial arts participate is is I try to make sure that any of the martial arts involved have that kind of um, belt rank system that you work through, which I mm-hmm. feel like is one of the real keys to um, the effectiveness of it as a therapeutic tool because it's um, it provides you with a path, a way forward, a sense of achievement. Um, you know, it's divided into, um, you know, achievable little increments and it's really just... It's a perfect system for personal development just laid out before you and, and it exists right there in this ancient tradition that we haven't really embraced um, to its full potential, I don't think. So, so Brazilian jiu-jitsu schools, if any of them are listening, have you had any BJJ schools give out scholarships yet? Uh, one in uh, New South Wales, but I haven't had a massive uptake in BJJ, so yeah, really keen to biggest growth this year is debating karate. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'd love to have some more jiu-jitsu clubs on board. I think it's just it's awareness raising. It's just going to take a little bit of time, but that's okay. Uh, you know, this is my side passion project. So I'm kind of happy for it to grow slowly and organically, <laughs> just so I can manage it and not be swamped. <laughs> Well, I don't know how many um, people who own BJJ clubs want to reach out. And and this is, is this only in Australia too? Currently, mostly in Australia. Uh, I have two clubs in the US offering scholarships and they're still Mm -hmm. just trying to um, identify women to offer their scholarships to. So I'm hoping that before the end of the year, I'll be able to say that we've got our first scholarship recipient outside Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely had a lot of interest from um, various organisations overseas but haven't had anyone sort of really run with it yet. So Okay. Yeah. So Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym owners of the world, <laughs> if you're listening to this and you're thinking that it's like something that you could get behind, uh, you're going to get in contact with Christy at the Pink Belt Project on Facebook and what you can just Google search the Pink Belt Project. We'll put all of the information in the show notes. Um, yeah, all of the links to how people can get in contact with you. And if people want to apply for scholarships, those are now closed. Is that correct? They have closed, but training obviously starts, well, the aim is to start the scholarship January 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, so totally open to hearing from clubs still t- 
until the end of the year and helping facilitate them identifying um, potential beneficiaries in their local communities. So for me, it was just about uh, trying to organise it around my work life and, and put some deadlines on things. But um, yeah, more than happy to hear from, from anyone up until yeah January, the more women we can help in the meantime, the better. And if women are thinking that they really want to be on like a list for this, can they apply or is it like you get the scholarship and then you look for the woman or, you know, how does that work? Most most of the applications come via clubs. So clubs mm-hmm. promote in their local community and then mm-hmm. they attract scholarship recipients. I yep. do get the odd few who contact the page direct mm-hmm. um, and say, oh, I'm interested in a scholarship. I can't see a club on the list that is near me. So there have been a couple of situations where I've, um, found out where the woman lives and literally just approached their nearest martial arts club and said, hey, how about it? <laughs> and uh, mostly yes. they're pretty receptive. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's fantastic. Okay. So also if any women are listening to this and thinking that this would be something that they would really get a lot of value from that they can't imagine themselves being able to self-fund for starting martial arts, if that is a real barrier for you, then you're also going to get in touch with Christy. <laughs> I can be pretty convincing up heard so. <laughs> yes nothing like a determined woman to get shit oh, yeah. done <laughs> <laughs> a determined busy woman <laughs> yeah yeah that's my biggest thing at the moment is trying not to wear busy like a badge of honor but it's um it's pretty difficult when you've got so many things on, on yeah. let's go uh, are there any final things that you want to say to all of women listening live your life, try something new, take the leap. Um, There are people who will support you once you take that leap, but that very first step has to be something that you want to do. But once you take that leap, you won't believe the magic that's ahead. So get back to living. (laughs) Let's do it. I love it. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Fight Back podcast. Please give me a like on YouTube. Leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you to Nari for the beautiful song Shape Me, which is heard at the beginning and the end of this episode. Nari wrote this song about Shape Your Life, which is a boxing program for self-identified female survivors of violence in Canada. She wrote this song using the words and experiences shared by participants with Kathy Van Ingen. And you can find out more about Shape Your Life in my interview with Kathy, with Kathy um, in episode eight of the Fightback podcast. And of course, you can hear more of Nari's work by going to her Instagram at Nari the Saga. See you next time. You need to know that nobody shapes me but me. Don't gotta tell you what my name is, I don't gotta explain it Walk in the room, hear a boom erupting like I'm famous I'm here shedding shells, I'm shameless I fear nothing, no complacence Walk to many tight ropes with no hope So I became this poster they hold over all the heads of trauma holders You don't need to know my history, I move boulders Atlas shrug cause I lifted the weight above his shoulders No pretense of defense, move first like chess soldiers This goes deeper than empowerment cause I'm the one to power it 
Physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring If I can't change the scenery, at least I change perspectives No longer isolated, but elevated and selective Darkest places become beautiful spaces This is where rage meets patience Meets power meets gracious Meets, we're so glad you came in, the feeling is contagious When you the walking impact of intended bad intentions When you the manifesting of collecting all they tensions You the soul and body, hold it all and still remember But I'm a work in progress, testament to all contenders Forgot what it was like to have control over self Forgot what it was like to be the one in charge Forgot in my reflection I could see all my wealth Forgot that with my bare hands I break all these bars Barriers and obstacles, they can't cage me, they can't chronicle all my experiences and reduce them to appearances when i was truly beaten gave myself clearances to fall down mess up and get myself back up i'm not looking for clovers because i don't believe in luck damn you were bad as i heard them say it clearly why thank you very much i know now i'm not weary of what's next for me because i expect to see growth like i was planted watered fed and bloomed to be the positivity and accountability Knowing they won't step if I'm the agent of my agency I think I found my voice again, huh? I think I found my voice again, huh? I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're the end where I begin Boundaries, I know them well, take a breath and meditate Who is she? I know her well, now I get to open gates One, two, one, two, I don't need your permission And if you get uncomfortable, then use your intuition To know that I won't stay where respect is ever missing And everything I do, that's me making decisions Is truly underrated, the value of self-worth Forgot that I was rich from the moment of my birth A penny for my thoughts, no really, you can't afford it You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it, huh?